So what what before you started looking into this this kind of area then through the necessity of losing was it your father or your grandfather? My father. Your father. What what was your position mm -hmm. on life after death and that sort of thing at that point? Um I mean I rarely thought about it just cuz it scared me so much. I mean I thought it was pretty much as realistic as Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. Mm. It was just it made absolutely no sense. Um I mean, I try to never know anything 100%. That's just part of my personality. I like, you know, to just kind of have a humbleness and realize that we can never always know everything. But I was pretty much 99.9% .9 sure that there'd be no life after death. It made no sense. Mm. You know, once your brain dies, how could you continue? Mm. And also, I think most of the general mainstream conversation that we're exposed to about life after death... Um, not to disrespect religion, but it kind of seems a little absurd. Like, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people get a lot of comfort and love and religion can have some beautiful things, but nothing about a heaven or any of that made any sense any more than mm. any other fantasy fable. So yeah, I just never considered it. Mm. And it, there are certainly, I found a lot of contradictions in especially Christian religion because i suppose being in the uk and you've been in the us that's the dominant religion around um and well, i was my family is jewish actually uh -huh. but culturally i was i was raised in a pretty jewish culture but like very very secular jewish right. like you know the larry david style mm. like eat our bagels but i don't think I really grew up around anyone who believed in God. If they did, they never talked about it. Mm. See, I was brought up in a Christian um, primary school or elementary school, it'd be for you. Mm -hmm. And we, we used to have to pray before every meal and every lesson and things like that. And I, I, it always seems so far removed from reality for me. We used to have assemblies where we'd have Bible readings. And, th and I was listening to it and I was thinking, but you're telling me that a guy had a big boat and he put every species of animal two of each on there that must have been a bloody big boat <laughs> you know and, think, and i just the, the, the stories that they said from the bible just didn't make logical sense to me without invoking some sort of magic and to me that wasn't a, a thing but i suppose the thing with the bible is you know its original meaning after two thousand years has long since been removed and long since been misunderstood so to me you know taking anything from biblical texts as literal to me is just completely unfeasible now. I agree. I mean, it didn't really seem different when I would learn the stories. And I guess my difference was I was never told they were true. I was just kind of taught them as history or fables. Or, you know, if I went to synagogue for someone's bar bat mitzvah, you'd hear the stories, but you know, it was never considered true. Mm. And it just never seemed any different than when I learned about you know, Zeus and the Greek gods. Mm, it just all mm. seemed like myths and symbolism that yeah. we used to try to explain, but not based on any reality. No. Never crossed my mind it would be. But no. it sounds like you were raised with the mindset that it was true. Well, or I, with I was your raised... family, like your culture was... My, my family were never religious. They were always um, not atheists, but just I, I didn't really think much of it. I suppose you could say they're agnostic. Um, but the school was, yeah, very much this is true and i could see i could see the value in it metaphorically you know taking these these stories as metaphors and as a learning or as, as a way of, of portraying teachings and, and ways to live but literally I, I couldn't see them as as literally true as you say so it sounds like we had a, a very similar kind of background as a 
as children that we or as younger people that we didn't have any belief in anything um what was it that ultimately forced you to look into this was it immediately at the loss of your your father or was there any interest before that i mean there was definitely a curiosity i think i mean we all have a significant amount at stake and my dad had had me much later in life so he was the age of my friend's grandparents mm. so it was something that always loomed over me which is you know, I mean, I didn't really have realistic hope, but I think if I'd heard about the research that I found now, I would have been really intrigued. I just never heard anything logical. So it was actually when my dad went into hospice that I first began to think about this. And I guess my very first thought about it was, is there any way to turn back time? I mean, I know that sounds a little crazy. You know, I didn't think I could just build a time machine in mm. my room the way you see in like sci-fi movies, mm. but my thought was, okay, so much of science fiction becomes true. And is it possible that in say 5,000 years, we'd be able to turn back time? So one day when I have children, maybe I could give them information on my dad and like, you know, lineage and lineage mm. down the line, so they could come back and like save him and medicine's better and we all live to 500. And there's more curiosity than and a hope that there was something more. Mm. So my next step was I started reading more and more about time travel. And what I discovered, I was reading um, time travel in Einstein's universe. And it, it absolutely is possible to time travel. It's not really practical. You know, we are physically too big. And if we tried to build a rocket that moved at that speed, we would probably die mm. and we just don't have the technology or capabilities but in theory it's possible mm. so that to me showed that what what we perceive as all the limits of our material world and the laws of the universe are a lot more flexible i guess and there's a lot more possibilities than i'd originally thought and that was the first thing that gave me hope mm. and so is then it, the is it possible then from what you've read to go backwards because i know it's, it's possible to i suppose go forward in time or slow down time by approaching light speed or orbiting a black hole or something like that but i never actually knew it was possible to go backwards if that is the, the case um apparently it is i have to re-read it but essentially you know i don't even want to be quoted on this because i don't remember all the science of it but i think you would have to go faster than the speed of light because our memories and experiences are traveling at the speed of light imprinted in the light into mm -hmm. outer space. And if you were to go faster than that, which we obviously can't do, but still then in theory, mm -hmm. it shows that there is time. Maybe if there's a species that one day can, or mm -hmm. then yes, you could go backwards in time. I believe there's, yeah. So uh, someone uh, a definitely a physicist could explain this significantly better than i just did but sure in theory, in theory yes it's possible just... mm. yes so yeah it's interesting i've never really gotten into the, the nature of time and all that sort of thing but it is in it is an interesting area um but very as you say very complicated stuff to understand from a lay perspective without talking to physicists mm -hmm. and they're very difficult to get a hold of um <laughs> yes hmm. so once your father went into hospice which is when you say you started looking at this subject what was the first 
what was the first thing you started looking at? Was it a phenomena? Was it the nature or was it philosophy? And, and what did you think about it? So the after reading about time travel, the very first thing that got me into afterlife was I had a thought and it was about past lives. I mean, I, I don't like the word reincarnation because that brings way too much spirituality into it. But my immediate thought was at that time, I assumed consciousness was created by brain cells. So why could another physical body, you know, that accidentally created an experience of being a me, why could another body not go and do that in some other body down the line or in past history? It wouldn't have anything to do with karma or any form of spirituality, but just the dumb luck of brain cells creating a me. Why could that not happen again? That was my thought. And I knew that wouldn't mean I'd get to ever see my dad again, or that, you know, we'd be the same people or traveling down some consistent growing consciousness line. It would just be more evolutionary, random mm. luck of being a consciousness again, but that was better than total obliteration. If you think there's only total obliteration, your standards are pretty low. Mm. So then I just wondered if somehow in our DNA, are there ever any, any memories stored? And I Googled that and that was the life changer because I found two child psychiatrists, Dr. Jim Tucker and Dr. Ian Stevenson. Mm -hmm. And they are professors at University of Virginia. Dr. Ian Stevenson's passed away and Dr. Tucker is his protege. And they were studying cases of kids with past life memories in a very logical, data-minded way. I mean, and I found an interview with Dr. Tucker on NPR and I was like, okay, this is something to take a little seriously. And they didn't use words like karma. They didn't talk about anything like, you know, when you think of reincarnation, nothing belief-based, they just literally took cold, hard facts and data, examining cases of kids with past life memories and matching them up with kids with, you know, with a human who had died years ago. And the information they were getting was astounding. And I mean, I just basically hold up and read every single one of their mm. books. I think one of the most and impressive cases I've heard was the the, um, the kid. I mean, everyone talks about James Leinager and, and his memories. But the one that sticks out to me more is, is the, the the child who said he was a um, an extra in an in a in a movie Back in Hollywood, Marty. Yeah, and I saw on I Marty Martinson. That's right? that's right. About, that's right. Yeah, and it was yeah. on. I saw it on uh, Surviving Death as well, which we'll talk about. Cause I know you've looked at that. Um, mm -hmm. And it was was it something like fifty facts matched up? Accurately? Oh, it was some insane amount. I don't remember the exact number, but uh, mm. yeah, I remember just reading the list of that. And not only was it the facts, they met with you know the children of Marty Martinson, now elderly. I believe women i think they were daughters mm. or a daughter and they shared memories mm. you know just mm. like with the james leininger you know your listeners don't know do you, should i explain a little yeah, what sure, the case is sure. about for your listeners well first the james leininger i'll do a shortened version but dr jim tucker researched this it was a young boy who started having memories and nightmares of being a world war ii pilot and dying and just after lots of research it just in this shocking way matched up i mean to the point where he met with his um 
army buddies, you know, now old men and he was a little boy and they also shared memories and the old army buddies, I think were pretty convinced. And then similar with Marty Martinson was an actor, was a young boy who started seeing, who I, I guess he had remembered this very wealthy Hollywood life and turned out he was, was it a producer, an agent, I think, an agent as well as an extra in a movie. And he recognized himself from a photo mm. in the movie of a completely unknown extra. And he recognized names of other people involved in it. And I think that, that was, was, that was the most impressive thing, that it was involving an extra who was relatively, or com- well, completely unknown. You know, it wasn't some famous stand-in actor or some well-known personality. It was someone, effectively, they'd pulled him from the street to work as an extra. And you know the facts that match up with that is something. It's like somebody trying to find information on your next door neighbour from a Google search. You know, there's no way you'd be able to do that unless. And before Google, so it's not like Google, you know yeah. he started going through and finding this man's Instagram. I guess yeah. he'd been alive in the 40s or 50s. Exactly. So I mean... you'd have to somehow get access to um, population information from the government or whatever. And why why would you go through all that just for the sake of a potential past life case? You know, right? Not that you'd be allowed and to do that. And he was four. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, and he was mm. four years old. So I mean, mm. or three. And... But yeah, the the evidence yeah. for past lives is very compelling when you look into it. A lot of people dismiss it as not possible because, as you know, we know that the brain creates consciousness, and we know that memory is stored in the brain, and once you die, that's it. Um, I mean, what's your thought generally on, on that? view that's seen as as fact in science um i mean i think we don't really know where consciousness is stored it seems like our brains download a consciousness from some cloud you know Hmm. or data bank um i mean that's the question what is the substance and how do we download it but the, there is such a vast body of evidence that contradicts that our consciousness is created by our brain and that's it. I mean, just all of the research that has been done that I've been studying from mediumship to near-death experiences to past life memories being done by university researchers. I mean, mm. that's the stuff that just isn't really known. And it, there is, it's absolutely impossible to get this information and have some of the phenomena that's been happening and then say it's consciousness is created only by the brain. Mm. I think it's something that's more complicated maybe than we understand. Mm. Although there have been attempts, haven't there, to ex- explain it in a physical sense, especially the near-death experience, because I suppose because it's the most popular, I suppose, in, the, in mainstream living, it's the most popular kind of phenomena amongst the media and things like that that's been looked at more than any others i think in terms of trying to debunk it and trying to make it so that it's false memories or that these experiences didn't take place when the brain wasn't working or whatever else i mean what what how extensively have you, have you looked into the near-death phenomena which which cases have you seen oh. and the research done um i mean i've read a lot of it you know dr bruce grayson penny centauri ions dops Division of Perceptual Studies mm. through University of Virginia. Um, I haven't actually met with the scientists, but I've read tons about it. And I mean, my thoughts are 
you know, first of all, I really believe in stepping down some to the experts who've dedicated their lives studying this and every one of them who's studied it, they aren't necessarily saying, I know for a fact that we survived death, but they are saying that this is not made up. There's something going on. Mm. And I say that not based on, you know, the beauty of the experiences, which is certainly wonderful, but there's just facts. Like if you step away from all the emotions, there's absolutely inexplicable facts. They, you know, for example, will say they're out of their body and, you know, hear a conversation in a different floor of the hospital amongst their family and know things that just they couldn't have known. Um, they'll see stuff they'll know about conversations going on in the operating room or things the doctors did when they are completely unconscious. I think one of the most amazing that happens is, so a common thing is, you know, during near-death experiences, people will say they've met up with deceased loved ones. Some have come back with information the deceased loved one gave them that then proves to be true, that mm. they couldn't have known, or they've met with someone who died who they didn't know died. Mm. I believe it was one of Dr. Grayson's, Dr. Bruce Grayson's studies or cases, there was, I guess, a young man who was being tended to by a young nurse. I mean, not someone you would think would would die. It was her 21st birthday. And so this man dies physically, is brought back to life from technology. And he said when he died, he couldn't believe it. He saw the nurse and she said, tell my parents... Mm thank you for the car, describe the car. And I'm so sorry. I mean, just I'm so sorry sad. I crashed and the so, car. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I crashed the car. And he was confused. And he came out of this and was like, Oh, where's, you know, asked for the nurse and said, how weird, and, you know, he was blown away by this experience, because it's apparently a very emotionally intense experience, but thought it was so odd, he would, as he probably thought dreamed, dreamt about mm. or fantasized or whatever about this nurse. And he found out she had died like that weekend that he had the near-death experience and her parents had bought her the car he described and she died crashing it in an accident on her 21st mm. birthday. So that's just, mm. I mean, and th if that was an anomaly, I would say, well, you know, that's, you know, not enough to really, there's too many weird things around it to really know, but there, there's a vast body of similar stories there are just kind of all comes in their together. thousands as well so what would you say to those who say <clears throat> even though there are these high numbers because they're the nature of them being cases that it's anecdotal and it's not experimental science so you can't use it as evidence i mean i think anecdotal evidence is evidence i mean i think if we're trying to say it's fact and proof you, you know, none of us can say this is proof, but saying it's a preponderance of evidence is pretty strong. Um, I mean, yeah, anecdotal evidence is evidence. And you have to look some at the source, because in that sense, you can say, well, what about all the religions who insist God is true? Mm. And but they're not providing facts that are then backed up mm -hmm. in medical communities. I think that the common um, comparison is, well, there's, there's also a lot of anecdotal evidence of alien abductions <clears throat> and things like that. So that's often used to discredit any form of anecdotal evidence for these kind of phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can't completely disregard any anecdotal evidence. I mean, maybe look into the 
alien abductions. I'm not saying aliens are coming down abducting people, but maybe that will prove to be some chemical of the brain that are making people fantasize this. Mm. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think people are being abducted by aliens. I mean, I haven't ever seen any evidence for it, but to me, that's different because it's not happening. It, there isn't verification no. at the next level there's, of that. There's no empirical and, data you can work with. It's purely anecdotal. Yeah. yeah. That's purely, yes. And this is happening in hospital settings with doctors who are verifying they're dead. Then they say information like, you know, again, about the nurse or a conversation they heard their parents having in the next room. And then it's verified. So mm. Mm. it's anecdotal with another layer. And yeah, which to me takes it a little bit beyond anecdotal into empiricism. You know, I mean, the books like The Self Does Not Die and things like that, which give... <laughs> give these third-party verifications and things like that. I mean, Pam Reynolds, for instance, very well-documented medical records to corroborate it and, you know, things like that. But anyway, I suppose moving away from near-death, because we've done, well, I've done near-death experiences to death. <laughs> That's all everybody ever wants to talk <laughs> no about. Really. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so you say, you mentioned that you've done research into mediumship as well. Mm-hmm. And especially uh, you've had, Reading, and we're again quite similar in that because we've both kind of looked at Julie Byshell, the Weinberg Institute, and had mediumship readings done ourselves to kind of get that first person experience. What's what's your thought on on mediumship in general as an evidential base? I'm pretty blown away by it. I think in one sense it's the phenomenon I know the most because it's one of the few I could actually go tangibly research myself. I can't you know, go ask Jim Tucker, can I come mm. with him? I can't go travel around and research cases of kids with past life memories, but I could go get a medium reading. So I, yeah, I've done a lot with that. My very first information about mediums, again, was reading, came across Windbridge with Dr. Julie Beischel, and I was just blown away. I was like, there's something going on here. And well, I thought at least I, let me rephrase. There's a possibility that there's something going on here. This woman, if she's real, if it's true, that I mean, this is the most significant, mind-blowing thing that's ever possibly could be. And I started digging because I was like, boy, is she a real person? I mean, this is how my skeptical brain went. I was like, what if there's one author who is writing a book as Julie Weichel and then Mm. writing books as mediums and pretending and just this really like one person or a little group and they run like a psychic hotline really. And so, you know, and I dug further, that wasn't the case at all. And I decided to go get some medium readings and I took all the precautions and, you know, I hid my identity. I, you know, had a, you know, used friends, not family, PayPal accounts Mm -hmm. or Venmo to pay. I mean, just every way you could hide your identity, I did. And not all of them, but a percent of them knew information about me that just, they could not have known by normal means. And then, I mean, I was just like, is there some crazy, like, mafia, like, medium mafia that is connected to the CIA and they're getting this insane amount of information? Yeah, but so I dug further. And I mean, they knew things, too, that the CIA couldn't find about me, like memories I'd had with Mm. my dad. I mean, I don't think the CIA knows, 
something like that. I mean, memories, if so, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if they do, there you go. Consciousness isn't local. If they can mm, download e- memories exactly. from our brains. Mm. And I then went further. I was like, I've got to see what is going on behind the scenes with this. And so I started volunteering with Forever Family Foundation. I got to know a lot of the mediums personally, learn more. And, you know, I, the further I go with it, the more and more I'm absolutely convinced something real is going on with that mediumship. Mm. So I suppose for, for those who are skeptical to the idea of going to mediums themselves from a subjective point of view, <clears throat> What would you say about the the Wimbridge Institute research and the papers written by Julie Bighton? What would you say is compelling about those? So much. First of all, they're peer-reviewed, plenty of them. They're Some of them are up to quintuple-blinded. They're not you know, they ha- they're being overseen by Julie Bichel. So it's not just someone going in vulnerably in grief, just desperate to believe anything, which I think even the most logical person in a moment of weakness could believe even the fakest reading, especially, mm. you know, if someone who's lost a child. So there, there's so many controls. First of all, I could talk about this for hours, so <laughs> cut me off I go into too much. Um, for, first of all, a lot of them are done on the phone. And I've had phone readings as well. And that eliminates cold reading because you can't see the person. Mm. Some of them, they can't give any vocal cues even. They just have to hit a button for yes, Mm -hmm. no, maybe. Some of them, there's even um, a sitter in their place. Like, for example, Dr. Baisha will sit in place of a sitter and ask the sitter's deceased loved one to come in. And then Julie, the medium will give the information to Julie Baisha. And I mean, how is that cold reading? Mm. And Julie, it's so blinded that Julie Baishal doesn't even know which sitter she's sitting for. And that's part of it. Um, I mean, just the level of blinding combined with some of my own experiences where they just absolutely knew things they could not have known about me. Um, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, there's just, this can't be faked. And from what I understand, I cannot, I believe this was in one of Dr. Baishal's experiments. If not, it was somebody did, sorry, I'll let the ambulance no, pass. No problem. That's, I'm guessing you're in a city. I'm in New York City, yeah, yeah. York. and I live a block from the hospital and a block from um, the fire station. Perfect. So, um, yeah, tell me, uh, are you still picking them up? I assume you Yeah, are. yeah, it's not a problem. Okay, can I? Yeah, keep, keep going, that's fine. Mm. Okay. Um, from what I understand, too, is that they asked, and again, I cannot remember which researcher this was, but they asked a, you know, a fake stage medium, not one who was sleazy and deceptive, but, mm. you know, one who does it for yeah, entertainment a, a purposes yeah. at parties. Mentalist, that's the mm. word. And they looked over and said there is absolutely no way they could do what these people have done and mm. you know and i've gotten to know mentalists personally such as lloyd arbach who backed mm-hmm. that up and he does a lot of work with mediums mm. so. so i suppose the main rebuttal you'd have to something like mediumship as always would be well why didn't they win the james randy challenge that was one of my main questions i was like this makes no sense um 
And I thought they would have. There's a lot of reasons for that. In fact, there is a book about that. Mm -hmm. Randy's Prize. And I can't remember the name. Randy's Prize. Mm -hmm. That's the book. Yes. And they go into a lot more. So if any of you guys are curious, read this book. But I'll give from asking some of the mediums I knew. That was a question I asked them early on. And now I talk to them about it. They just didn't even know. They didn't pay attention. Most of them were like, why would I go to that? Um, That was some of the... What some of them said, they, another part is the way it's set up, it's set up to fail. They don't work with the mediums and how their abilities work. Um, And apparently the mediums have to pay to go there. No reading is ever 100% accurate. So if they get one thing wrong, they fail. And then Randy will publicly shame them and say that they failed and they're allowed to go say that. So you're just going in knowing you can't win. And, you know, for example, if a medium was to give me a reading, which this actually has happened almost every single reading. So I'm an only child. Let's say a medium was like, I'm getting a father energy. You lost your father. I'm getting, you know, why am I getting the word something about fire was he this is the thing where they don't know everything exactly Mm. was he like fireman or love something to do with fire something about fire and like the summer we would spend all our summers on fire island you know and then they'll one said you know he has your cat with him the one who just died the sweet one and the cat that we always called the sweetest one had just died at that moment unfortunately so you know and then just going on with more and more information and then you know, they would say, and do you have a sister? Why am I? And I don't. And then that's it. Randy would say they failed, mm. no matter how much other stuff they got. Yeah. One even. And I mean, I, I was, I did a um, a video recently, which I'll, I'll put up at some point of, um, I was reviewing mediumship readings that were done on the television, um, John Edward and all that. And hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm going to have an interview with John Edward at some point next year. Um, oh, good Which will be interesting. Um, yeah. And... I was going through it and, and you can see when misses come up that it's very easy to say, well, that's just a miss. You know, that's he's guessing something and it's gone wrong. But if you and I've spoken to a, a, a several mediums and given your example of your father with fire, what the medium will mm-hmm. get is a flash image of a flame. And that's about it. And now it's down to them to interpret what that means. Why they don't get the full message, I don't know but they don't, they get them as symbols and then you've got to interpret what that symbol is. So if you get a flame, how many different things could that mean? You know, did he die in a fire? Was he a fireman? Did he, it, it was fire a name of something, you know? So of course you're going to have to, you're going to find misses down to the interpretation. And if you use that as a, as a way of telling that someone's fake, you know, that you're not going to be accurate because of course yeah, people as- are going to interpret things wrong. Exactly. And as Dr. Julie Beichel said once, which mediums back up, it's more like playing charades than talking on the phone. I mean, if they could just give us a call and have a full conversation, I mean, we wouldn't be questioning this, but it's interdimensional communication. And yeah, that's exactly with Randy. And sometimes I think, yeah, I've noticed a lot when mediums have gotten things wrong. They've taken something and overinterpreted it again mm. the fire when because i'd said you know that like my favorite memories one of them is fire island mm. and you know bring that up for something and then 
you know, they're seeing a fire and, you know, Mm. they're I mean, not hearing it, the word exactly fire it, it, could, it could be just as we say you know it could be that something happened with fire it could be the name of a street you grew up with with the name fire mm. in it you know so it's down to the interpretation and uh, you know there's no doubt randy was damn good at, at exposing frauds and he did he did very right. well with it um but when it comes to kind of scientific exploration this sort of thing a challenge like that isn't going to provide definitive evidence even if there's a success because people all believe that he, he's been fooled somehow you know and, and things like that not that of course anyone ever That's, would would pass it the way that it's set up i don't think it's possible to pass it yeah i mean i think i think mediumship would have to work differently than it does to pass it and mm. even then i think i mean i i don't think even a phone conversation like if you were to have a phone conversation and picture static and not the best connection because again this is interdimensional let's say you're calling someone on your phone from like an isolated island the conversation's going to break up like two mm. people on a static e-phone when you pass randy's pass no no absolutely especially if that line is so flimsy that you're only catching a word here and there and then you're having to interpret it which is a good metaphor i suppose so see so we've done past lives briefly i don't know enough about past lives to really go deeply into it near-death experiences mediumship what other phenomena have you looked at that made you well convinced that this was possible pretty convinced pretty 90 percent mm. 99 convinced. um well let me rephrase that it's not explained i'm convinced that the laws of the universe are much more complex and layered and less material than we perceive but i can't say no for a fact that means we mm. survive death mm. i think we do but i can't i don't no. want to say factually oh, that's, um, that's the other thing i meant to bring oh. up I, I was going to say what i, I couldn't oh. remember but there was one um sigh and your spoon bending I, that's actually you said bring go. something up i was yeah. just i was gonna go to spin bending um yeah i have like two fascinating experiences with spoon bending and that right there was so evidential to me there's debate people will say well that doesn't show that consciousness survives and no it's no. not proof but it shows that our consciousness outside of a physical body can manipulate matter and it shows that the factual laws of the universe, again, are not exactly how they are. And that phenomena that has been proven to be fake and a magic trick also is real. And so my experience with spin bending is twofold. First, I went to a medium workshop, Laura Lynn Jackson, mm -hmm. who is Winbridge and and forever family certified. And she was one of the first mediums I found. And so I went to this spin bending thing and I was like, this is, you know, I'm curious because I'd been also taking Lloyd Arbach at the Ryan's mm. class and he was talking about spin bending. And I was like, you know, I, I, I don't really expect anything, but if I ever actually bent the spoon, that'd be pretty evidential. So about two days after that thought, after Lloyd's class, I ended up at her workshop and she mentions we're going to be bending spoons and I was like, well, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I mean, pretty curious. Let's see if this is true. And it was so weird. First of all, I went with a friend of mine. He's a guy a lot bigger than me. I don't know how much you can see me, but I'm five, four, I'm pretty small and not especially strong. He was like a very big burly guy with a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. So we get our spoons and he cannot bend his and I'm trying, I can't bend mine. F physically. And then it was just so, physically yeah 
And it was so weird. Suddenly in it, I felt my hands get really, really hot and the spoon get really hot. And it was almost like a, not exactly a liquid, but like a melted, like set, like very soft, almost like as soft as a gum. Mm -hmm. And I could just bend the head right down and then it just cooled off and I couldn't move it again. And I was astounded. And then my really strong friend couldn't bend his at all. So that there showed that, you know, that's strength. That was not strength. No. And, so what was it kind of the, the, and the a part, general kind of rubbing of the spoon kind of thing? Or was it just holding the spoon, then it, it started to bend or you were able to? I was holding it. I don't remember if I rubbed it. If so, it was very gentle. Um, I might, I, I I don't remember exactly what my hands did. I wish I did. I do remember the feeling of, sorry, my dog just almost knocked this over. Sorry, my screen shook. Um, <laughs> what, what breed is he? Is, so he's a pug chihuahua. Oh, nice. Yeah, sure, sure. We've, we've got a little, um, I'll show you we've got a little puppy schnauzer. <laughs> oh, bless him. This is pickles. <laughs> and we, we can go back to spin bending. Oh, um, he, um, so, I just, I mean, I know it started where the whole class shouted bend at the spoon and Lloyd later explained that just, you know, you want to get everyone silly. So, so yell at and spoons. kind of fun, that mm. fun, silly. Mm. Yeah. So you yell at spoons and you feel kind of stupid and we all screamed like bend. And then the spoon, I just, one part I do remember, I don't know if this would tie into it at all, but I looked over and I saw a few people really bending their spoons and I was shocked. And then it was like, I don't know if it was the shock of that because I'll explain my second spoon bending experience after. And then I just remember, yeah, cause I'd been trying and you know, I wasn't pushing it. I wasn't going to fight it. I was just like trying to very gently and nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. Then I did try like hard to see just to prove like it was a real spoon that was actually before we all shouted bend and played with it. And I did try to bend it using my strength and I couldn't do any of that. But then when this energy part, I didn't try any strength. It just like, it was so hot. That's the best way I can describe it. Like really, really hot without a different kind of heat than if you were just touch a stove. What was odd was it was probably about that hot without any burning mm. at all or pain. Yeah. If that makes any because sense. I was, I was wondering, usually to have metal be molten enough to bend it, it needs to be pretty damn hot to the effect you'd certainly blister your skin yeah and it felt you know how it felt like it behaved i don't know if you've ever soldered um mm -hmm. any metals mm -hmm. but like at my summer camp as a kid we made these stained glass projects and would solder it and it would just bend but like yeah you could not touch it you would have been in the hospital yeah, and said home if you touched it but it it's felt like in terms of behavior it sort of behaved almost as if it was soldered it felt like it didn't just flip itself while I was holding it just with my mind, but it was like, it was a step away from that. And I just had to barely mm. just push it very gently. Whereas before I was trying to bend it. And then there was my friend who was really strong and he couldn't bend his at all. And then I went to a second spoon bending workshop a few years later, which I think just added a layer of evidence. It was being run by Lloyd Arbach at Forever Family Foundation event. And I was in a room with a few mediums. I know one of them is one of our Forever Family Foundation ones, Janet Mayer. And there was a few others who were not part of Forever Family Foundation, but they were, it was an event where 
one of the sections, some were for people who were having grief, and then some were for people who wanted to develop some of their own abilities. And it was a small group, and it was pretty much all like small women. I wouldn't say any of us were especially stronger than the other. And, and, but of the group of maybe about five of us, I was, hello, there's my cat. <laughs> cat <is> but, hi. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking his butt in the camera for everyone. Nice Kiwi. Um, so, sorry about That's that. Um, so, what was so interesting there, because some people will say, understandably, I would have questioned the same thing. Like, is there some substance, like trick substance mm -hmm. they put on the spoons? So, what was interesting, I was the only one without otherworldly abilities, as you'd say, or mediumship. And I kept trying to bend the spoons and they, I could not bend them. And I kept passing them off to the mediums like Janet Mayer and um, some of the others. And they, they were just bending them immediately. And I thought that was so interesting because mm. they were the same exact spoons that I couldn't. And I don't know how I was able to in Laura Lynn's and then not in Lloyd's. It might've been, I actually asked Lloyd and, you know, we thought maybe don't really know but i i mean i really probably needed to at laura's like i was in such a different psychological like space of desperation when i was there and i don't know if i can't begin to say why that would work versus mm. you know at lloyd's i was much further along i'd already you know been researching this for a couple of years i was friends with all the people there i wasn't i mean i don't think grief goes away but it wasn't that early raw grief for like every little thing that a medium would say was like had carried uh, yeah. so much weight like could this be true and versus not where you know that emotional yeah, desperation the take over was gone mm. yeah. yeah well yeah or just there wasn't the emotional desperation like early on when i was researching like i absolutely like i was hanging on every word that laura said at that event like hoping could this be true like mm. everything she's saying is carrying so much weight because dr baishel's backing her up and if you know dr baishel you know and if you know, Dr. Baishel's not true, then there's no chance this is true. So like every little second of that day carried oh, so like had extra this weight. desperation. Yeah. Mm. Whereas at this one, like I was helping run the event because I helped Forever mm. Family Foundation. I was seeing my friends. I was having fun. I wanted to bend a spoon because it's really scientifically interesting. But so my... it, it seems as if kind of having an emotional um, investment into it has, has an effect, which again, it is kind of evidence against any kind of material thing because it wouldn't make any difference. You wouldn't have thought yeah i i have no idea that was just mm. i i mean that was just a guess yeah. i think there have to be a lot more tests to do that done by different people i mean because i can't go back in time and unlearn everything mm. and then test and have this desperation to do it um that's just the stuff that's just purely speculative yeah. i mean it, and it i just always, thought it was interesting that it always will be speculative until we have a mechanism as to how first of all consciousness can exist without the brain we're always going to rely on speculation right. um but then you know we speculate as to how the brain can create consciousness anyway because we don't have a mechanism for that either <clears throat> but that's taken as true for some reason so after having done the spoons yourself someone's having a bad time in the traffic outside aren't they it's just living in new york yeah. next to a fire station and hospital yeah, that's why i'm so Sorry. so glad i live in the city in the in the city in the country i couldn't live in a city or a town these days. Oh Girl. my god! I don't even notice. I would have stopped. I I grew, <laughs> up, grew up here, yeah. so yeah. I just when I hear it, it's just it, I don't even process mm. the noise in my brain. Mm. 
So, so after having done the spoons yourself, what what do you think to um, those like? I suppose going back to Randy again, those like um, oh, what's his name, Yuri Geller, and folks like that who who Geller. were very well evidenced to be using trickery to do the spoon bending, and and folks like Darren Brown who can can do this sort of thing uh, and show the tricks involved. Having, as someone who's done that without knowing tricks to do it and haven't actually experienced that bend yourself. What do you think to those those kind of attempts to explain physically? Um, I think I'm going to just have to quote Lloyd Arbach on this. And he said, just because a phenomena can be faked doesn't mean that every single time it is. Otherwise, you'd never watch a movie. Everything's mm. faked in that all the time. And I mean, I can only go with the facts. Like, yes, it's it's stage magic. And it can ha- and it did happen to me, and it happened to other people that I absolutely trust mm. and know. I mean, the, both are complete facts mm. that I did it, and I saw other people do it with, who have mediumistic and energy abilities mm. I don't have with spoons that I can't bend. And I trust the people. I trust Lloyd with the spoons he provided. I trust Laura with the spoons she provided. I trust. The Janet Mayer, who I watched bend them, I trust. You know the other people mm. in that room. There's just it happened. I mean, the, the only I, kind of explanation I can think of that would. I mean, it's, there's a difference between seeing someone on the television bending a spoon, or even seeing someone in the same room as you bending a spoon, because the difference is when you're holding a spoon, you know there's nothing on your hands, you know there's nothing going on. The spoon isn't pre-bent because you haven't set anything up, so you know. And that, that's I suppose that's the difference with doing it yourself. But the only thing I can really think of is that to do it fakely or falsely I suppose would be to have some kind of chemical on that spoon that interacts with the salt or the electric field in your in your fingers so that it heats itself up and becomes more malleable but then if you were in a um, in Lloyd's class where you weren't able to do that but others were with the same exact exactly. spoons that's yeah. the thing because if I mean I 110% trust Laura and her complete honesty but let's say you know you didn't know her that's exactly what i would have said oh she put a substance on some of them mm. and that's why you could do it and you know if i could have done the investigation perfectly i would have like taken the spoon and had it investigated and had my hands tested you know um i just don't have mm. that kind of money or access mm. but ideally in a perfect perfect world but then you know at the same time i trust Lloyd as much as I do Laura and I don't think he's putting any chemicals on and then let's say I don't try let's say these were done by people I've never met or never trusted I mean and oh and also I should say when I first went to Laura's class and I did it I didn't trust her at all I was pretty sure she was faking things Mm. this is when I barely knew her so you know it just I just bring that up because people will say oh once someone's like tricked you then you start blinding yourself yeah. i mean i did not trust her at all when i went to that class i mean and yes i have to be honest i did trust lloyd three years later two years later in his workshop but i mean so takeaway pretend i don't know who the people are and it's random people who are like that you're going to a spin bending so none of that explains like if the chemical was there there's no reason that i could think of where, yeah, I could not bend the same exact spoon. And it's not like five minutes later, I then handed it to 
the mediums to bend it. It was like two seconds later, mm. there was a huge bag of spoons mm. and I kept taking them out and trying and trying and yeah. then just not being able to and passing them off to. The only other really you know, explanation I mean, you could have is that that spoon wasn't tampered with that you couldn't bend, but the mediums that were doing it all the time had some sort of tricks up their sleeves so they could do it with any spoon. But then to me, you know, with all the evidence of other psi phenomena and, and for non-local consciousness, you're now beginning mm -hmm. to become much more unreasonable trying to make it fit into a physical paradigm than just admitting maybe there is something more that we don't understand. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, I have to say, like, yeah, maybe, let's say these mediums, one, again, it's Janet Mayer, who in Lloyd's class, who I 100% trust, I mean, when did they go, go put this all in their hands <laughs> yeah. and why? This was like a small little class of five of us. It wasn't being broadcast on any social mm. media, really. I mean, I guess I'm the person who does social media for Forever Family. So I did put like one or two things, but I wasn't like what, just what would have been the point if mm. you're going to go do, I mean, do that? I mean, some of the mediums were also not part of Forever Family that were in the group. They were guests who paid to went there, paid to, paid go, to there. go there mm. to develop and they wanted to develop their own skills. So why are they going to pay, stay in a hotel, take time out of their lives to trick me? I mean, yeah, you know? Yeah. It doesn't seem, it, does, it yeah. seems completely ridiculous to do that, as you say. Um, yeah. What was the question I was going to ask? Oh, I should add one more thing about spin bending. And Lloyd Arbach has explained that spoons, so they did a test with spoons or metals and they had weightlifters bend the spoon using strength. And they had normal people like me who could not bend a spoon with strength um, or maybe mediums with more guaranteed abilities bend it mentally. And then he sent it to a metallurgist and the grain boundary boundaries were, were different when the metallurgist examined them. The one who broke it, it just looked like there was a lot of tears, exactly how metal is supposed to behave. And then the other, it looked like they weren't broken. They were looked melted mm. and stretched. And I thought that was, I mean, that's evidence. It is. And so I can say if you're sitting here thinking I'm completely full of shit, try to bend a spin yourself in a group. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. I never have been. I've only been able to do it that one time. Or go, you know, take two spins and take it to metallurgist yourself mm. and see what they yeah. say. Just, just try it. I mean, what have you got to lose? If it, if yeah. it's bullshit and you already know it's yeah. bullshit, nothing will happen. But go and yeah. find out. Yeah, or find yeah. it. Go to a spin bending workshop. Ask one mm. of the people who bent one. Mm. You know, ask a couple for their spoons, and then take them yourself. See what Metaler just says. Mm. I mean, that's something I'm actually considering trying to take some myself at some It'd point. Be interesting. What they say. So, I'm curious. So yeah. So, if there are mediums who are able to do this consistently, why why do you think there's been no definitive experimental? Um, experiment done to to show it that's such a good question i mean I, I have two part answer to that one i'm stumped why aren't isn't there more of this and two there is there are experiments but they haven't made it mainstream mm. you know the scientists start to do it and they're pushed to the side you mm. know i mean lloyd arbach's a mentalist who knows stage magic knows what tricks to look for and has done some studies on this and you know is convinced it's real you know dean radin mm. if you look up dr dean radin and daryl ben a lot ben. of mm. daryl ben yeah there's a lot of researchers they're just pushed away from the mainstream and also i mean i could see why it's just 
so, not so much that they're pushed away, but why a lot of the mainstream just aren't. It would hurt their career. And also people are busy. We can't do everything, you know, like a scientist I absolutely love, for example, too, like Dr. Brian Green or Dr. Dr. Lisa Randall, her both study, in the midst of studying string theory. I mm. mean, you only have so many hours a, in a day and so much you want to invest in your expertise. I can't see them suddenly interrupting their day and saying, hey, let's check spin bending, especially it has so much stigma. I just think a lot of it doesn't really cross people's minds to try. Mm. And I would be curious. I, and that's just a very surface an answer because I question it a lot mm. myself too. And I always do wonder what would happen if you took a scientist of that caliber and showed them, look, this can happen. Mm. You know, I suppose, one, I suppose one it last, depend on the individual. Yeah. I suppose one last question on spoon being as well is why spoons? Why not just rods of metal? You know, I have no idea. It's always spoons, isn't it? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, spoons. I've seen it with forks at Lloyd's workshop. They had spoons and mm. forks. They worked the same. Yeah, I've always just wondered so, why. I don't know. They're probably easy. <laughs> well, I always use spoons. Irrelevant, but just they're probably easier to get. Yeah, you yeah. know. I mean, where if I said, "Hey, can you go grab like a bag of rods of metal?" Where would you True. go? Yeah, I suppose you can find them everywhere, can't you? But then again, it's always spoons. Yeah. You very rarely see forks, knives, anything else. Don't know. Yeah, I did see forks at Lloyd's. Yeah, yeah. I guess I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe yeah. if I've had Lloyd on, maybe if I can reach out to him, I'll ask him. So just. just bit of trivia i'd be interested in finding out um yeah so let's let's go on to uh, surviving death the the netflix series yes. the first episode i mean i did a review with jan holden and some skeptics on the on the whole series we did a full review of it and we all agreed that the first episode on near-death experiences was very good the final episode on reincarnation was very good Medi the, the episodes on mediumship were terrible evidentially i found and you mentioned Laura Lynn Jackson. Yeah. I don't, I don't know her, but from uh, the first time I saw her was on that surviving death, and from my first look, I would say immediately she's fake, just from the way that she behaved. She's one of Laura Lynn. No, I. Uh, she's one of the ones that absolutely changed my mind. Mm. She is one of the best mediums I've ever seen. I think that there was some editing yeah, that they that's the did with that they didn't edit the hits but i've i've seen her give readings i mean, she, that just mm. absolutely blew me away she dr baishel stands by her she's past forever family i think she, mm. I, I i never knew she was actually absolutely stand by her so i never much. knew she was actually cert certified with those institutes but i was just saying from the from the very yeah. limited amount that i saw of her on the netflix series just the way that she was very kind of flamboyant and very presentable, I suppose, to the person. And some of the hits, again, we don't know how it was edited, but to me, if I was to see that and stop there, I wouldn't think that she was genuine. But I haven't looked at her in terms of her other activities. I have a hard time judging what I would have thought if I just saw her there because you know her. I know mm. her work too well. And I think both personality-wise, she's one of the most kind, genuine people. and. I mean, she was one of the first ones I met when, I mean, I thought all of this was fraud. And so I was like convinced and looking and she blew me away. She blew away Forever Family Foundation years before I got there. And mm. Julie Beichel thinks very, you know, Winbridge. I mean, you can't fake Forever Family certification. No, you can't no. fake Winbridge. 
And I've seen her just, I, I've been so astounded by the work I've seen her do that. I mean, uh, she obviously convinced me. I think surviving death, the mediumship ones. Uh, I, I mean, you know, in the scene with Sandra O'Hara has blown me away too in that both Laura and Sandra, I think are two of the best mediums mm. in the world and they, you know they volunteer their time for science like why would they do that yeah. um and I, I, I think we mustn't forget as well that since it's a netflix series entertainment was a big part of it you know to get viewers in so of course it would be edited more sympathetically towards what was emotionally triggering i suppose to people as opposed to the factual evidence behind it so i mean i'll have to see if i can yeah. reach out to laura lynn and either have a reading from her myself or just ask her a few questions on what she's done. Because I say that, that Netflix series was the only, the first and only time I've seen of her. So it wouldn't be yeah, fair to judge you based on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, like I have a really hard time judging her or Sandra on that because I know both of their mm. work and, you know, and I also know how editing behind the scenes works mm. and I think, I, I, I mean, Laura Lynn's also, you know, Leslie Keane, the writer mm -hmm. of, um, of Surviving Death, absolutely loves Laura and stands by her too. And Leslie's very logical, very mm. skeptical. She was, if you read, if you read Leslie's book, Surviving Death, the Netflix series was based on, you'll get a glimpse into the type of work Laura does. I mean, mm. Leslie Keane had tons of different readings and picked Laura and Sandra to be the two in her book. Mm. So when you have edits, you know, it's interesting. I think this almost should move more to conversation about the way editing is done with mediumship. You have the ones that have edited some um, movie stars, um, you know, or not movie stars, medium, celebrity mm -hmm. mediums, and you watch the readings and they don't get anything ever wrong, which has never once happened. It's because they edit out the misses. Mm. And I feel Netflix, they edited, they wanted to, I think they wanted to make the medium ones vague because that was the, that's like, I, I don't know. That's maybe more the dialogue, but I yeah. think. I noticed that they focus more on the, on the, mediumship training courses and things like that which was a big shame to me you know focus on the evidence yeah i felt unfortunately a lot was left out like they left out a lot about you know some of the brain scans of mediums there's just it wasn't the most compelling and also they didn't really put protocols into place no. for and there was a big emphasis on the physical medium which i think if i could guess i think that set up the tone where then, you know, you're, it just, it sets up the tone for how you're going to perceive all the ratings in it. And I think, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I think you can edit anything to make it perceive how you want to. Mm. And I think the physical, to have a physical medium and to not, have um not have there, there just weren't controls there should have been someone like lloyd mm. or someone who's a stage magician mm. setting up controls explaining how this phenomenon can be done and then showing how it's blocked so the medium can't cheat and then yeah. you find out if they cheat or not yeah. and there just weren't mm. yeah i, th I think but, the way that they portrayed the 
the physical medium in terms of I can't remember the name of the the lady, the foreign. Well, I'd say foreign, but then uh, the European yeah. lady with the um, who had Tommy Boy and people like that that come come through her. That to me just seemed ridiculous, and I suppose it would to anybody I've... who'd first see that. I w I went to um, a physical medium seance mm. once, twice actually. I went two nights, and it it was a carnival. It was it was a farce. It wasn't even good stage magic. Yeah. Like I, you know, I mean, I could go to a show by Lloyd that I would know would be stage magic, and it would be beautiful. I mean, I love stage mm. magic, so I, you know, would be really happy to have gone to a seance that I knew was fake. Mm. This, he was saying it was real. And it was like, I've never seen such bad stage magic. I feel like it's something I would have like loved at six years old. It reminded me of like a child's birthday party, yeah. except some of the jokes were a little, yeah. you know, adult, yeah. but conceptually it was, it was ridiculous. It was. And I mean, the guy at the end was quite right when he said he was impressed with the information that came through, but then it turned out that everything was findable on the, on the people's business Facebook page and things like that. You know, everything was sourceable. And it was a big shame that they focused a lot of time on that particular person. I mean, they, they mentioned, um, I can't remember the name of the guy, but an English guy who does physical mediumship and who has... Was it... Oh, no, I don't remember. I can't remember. Actually, but yeah. after seeing that, I contacted the guy. And I'm if I can, I'm going to go and have a seance session with him. Mm. Sorry, Gary, Dr. Hadmas, if you're watching, I know you don't like this sort of thing, but I, I'd like to just to see... Um, because I think there's no yeah. there's no count um, there's no comparison to going and finding finding out for yourself doing these things yourself with a skeptical mindset. Right. But I just think it'd be interesting. I'm, I'm not one to believe in physical mediumship, but I, I think it'd be different if you go and witness it yourself. Especially things like when Leslie mentioned yeah. the wax hand experiment and things like that. Yeah. I would love to see Stuart Alexander. I mean, I've only heard really wonderful things about mm. him. And I do think uh, this is my personal take on physical mediumship as of now. Um, I, I'm always open to being proven wrong, but my take is it's true. Unless you're a researcher, it's boring to go sit because what I think genuine good physical mediumship would be like would be you'd sit for hours. You would, you know, you wouldn't get the average consumer, unfortunately, which is just so unethical. And mm. I mean, especially for I, I'm not saying people. I agree with any of this, yeah. but yeah, grieving or I mean, and everyone's grieving in a way in life. Like we all know our own mortality and that our loved ones aren't immortal. So I think grief is embedded in part of the human experience in a certain way. So it's just. So I think physical mediumship, like, it's psychokinesis, it's PK, mind's ability to affect matter, and maybe it's discarnate entities affecting it and downloading, maybe it's not, um, but I think genuine physical mediumship would be, let's say, you know, I mean, you hear that it's the same people have to keep sitting in the circle day in and day out, but even if you took that away, if you were to get different attendees, you would sit, and maybe three hours later, like a really good medium could move, you know, a marble across the room mm -hmm. and the temperature could drop and there could be a chill. And maybe, you know, you might hear one voice say one name in the air. And most people would probably not pay for that. So I think they make it entertainment, which I could just go 
yeah. that's horrible that is absolutely yeah. horrible yeah. and it's, it's a difficult question the moralities of of mediums that are fake or at least that maybe don't believe them or believe themselves to be genuine but are kind of subconsciously implementing these things and you, you wonder is it morally incorrect to give someone if, if it's a full sense of comfort but to give them some kind of closure even though it's not true or is it immoral to to willfully lie to them and it, it's a difficult one it's a difficult thing to balance i my personal opinion it is difficult and i actually tackled that a little in my book but i really stand by don't lie to people mm. like it doesn't do the phenomena no. any good i mean why why lie to somebody mm. you know i mean i i can't think of any moral reason like if you're you're either tricking people as a medium i don't think you're going into this being like well i don't believe any of this but i'm going to give people love and comfort um no and, and they're going to pay me that's you it. know it's the motivation I behind mean, it isn't it that's the the real moral question there if are you going in to provide comfort knowing that it's not true which is one argument that you could put or are you going in it purely for financial gain in which case i would agree that that's not good especially from the research point of view it undermines all the actual research done on the phenomena well there's a way i mean we all in a way have lied i'm sure at some point for comfort like i mean i don't think i run around lying to people but okay so before i believed all of this you know and, and this is probably I mean, this is the normal, I think, way you sort of lie, you know, and a friend would have a loss and they'd be like, oh, you know, I know like my grandmother's in heaven. I'll see them one day, you know, you, you're comforting. You're like, oh, yes, you know, and give them a hug at like the memorial. You're not like, well, I have never, there is no way, mm. you know, you've ever seen any evidence of yeah. heaven, you know? Yeah. So I think it's not necessarily a lie, but I, you know, I, I you, but you can sort of expand your mind philosophically for a comfort and respect for another's beliefs. And that to me is the closest to lying. So someone, or, you know, friends who said they believed in God in my life, and I know they've gotten comfort, you know, and I wouldn't have turned to them and been like, well, that's just absurd. I would just mm. say, oh yeah, you know, mm. and that's that sounds really wonderful, you know? So that's, to me, I think as far, or, you know, if they had asked me, do you like, what do you think happens after we die before all this? You know, I would have said, I, you know, I've never seen, I, I don't think there's probably anything, but maybe, mm. you know, even though I probably didn't think maybe. Mm. And that to me is how you lie for comfort. You don't have someone pay no. you. You don't no. go into like faking phenomenon. You maybe just don't contradict someone's hope and beliefs in their darkest days, yeah, but you don't go make up a bunch of shit, no, you no. know? You, you don't do it for... As you say, you don't expect to be paid for it because that you don't expect to be paid. No, no that is, and you don't do it. fake it. You just don't contradict it. You mm. know, like yeah, mm. yeah. I probably wouldn't have just been like absolutely. I don't believe in God to so like or heaven to a person who that's their core belief, and someone just died like that day, and I'm hugging them. You yeah, know, I would no. have been like, and they're like, I I know God's with me. I'd be like, yes, I'm sure they are. Mm. You know, and that's mm. you know, even though that's as you know and that's just more like that's just kindness yeah. you know it is compassion yeah yeah so, um yeah. the last thing that i saw on your blog which is important is um folks like uh 
Dr. Bill Nye and, and uh, Sean Carroll who have said that there is strong evidence against any form of life after death and that there's no evidence whatsoever for it in any science and any science that says there is is pseudoscience or woo-woo which I hate the term woo-woo um, what you know you wrote a blog post about that sort of idea, that sort of opinion what what would you say to those who follow that kind of reasoning I mean I followed that I think I think that's very logical I think there I guess I think there is evidence that we just die in consciousness as part of the brain but i think that part's correct but i think there's also a vast body of evidence that there's something else too and i actually think it's stronger i would say i mean i think this conclude if if the choice is between religion you know biblical torah mm -hmm. religion or consciousness is part of a brain I would say consciousness is made for a brain, yeah, that's definitely. it. And that's a very logical conclusion based on what we experience here. And I would say if you are at all open, start reading, because there is a vast body of evidence. It's just, it hasn't gone very mainstream. But in in certain ways, it's like, how how do you word things? Like, what if you see someone on YouTube who's like, there's multiple dimensions and we can travel through dimensions mm. and you know you'd be like oh whatever they're mm. you know and they're like wearing their tinfoil hat and then you next you hear brian green saying there's you know is it a i don't know, 11 dimensions of string theory and there's someone saying the exact same thing except intelligently mm. with evidence so a lot of stuff how is it presented who's presenting it i just would say like look into it but open-mindedly and look into it slowly read mm. um I, I mean just i without a doubt have seen evidence of it i have met people who have who i trust completely who've dug into this i have befriended mediums where i completely completely trust them and i'll add to that that you know because some people say oh well of course now they're your friends but i befriended them after mm. having watched them mm. you know they weren't first my friends and then showed their phenomena they showed their phenomena and i was so blown away that i kept like going mm. further and hanging around and even i've gotten to know a few personally i suppose even if if they were friends of yours beforehand that wouldn't you wouldn't um lapse any of your critical thinking on any of the readings done because that's yeah. just part of you and that's something that people that believe in this sort of thing are attacked on a lot is critical thought skills and people say that if you don't if you do believe in some sort of survival then you must lack critical thinking analytical skills which isn't true and just completely <laughs> not true yeah, yeah i i hear that yeah and i think what some of the skeptics are you know I, I've listened to some of the skeptical podcasts. I can't even think of a specific one now or read some of the, you know, articles and they assume anyone who believes this has done no critical thinking They're, I mean, I've even read where they're like, you know, I guess there was an expose. I forget which medium where they went through Facebook and you know, they, they made like the fake Facebook profile and then the medium did mm. the reading. And they were like, see, they even do social media. Well, no shit they did. I mean, I, like, don't they think there's people who've thought of that, who do mm. believe this? I mean, it's one of the reasons I do believe it was that's exactly what I assumed mm. they were doing. So I blocked all my, 
like my identity there was no way these people could know who i was no and and that's that's you know. you know an important point because people when you quote or when you um reference people like dr grace and dr jan holden dr or not dr but lloyd Auerbach and folks like that dr dean radin and you you see them on forums and they're all saying yeah well it's confirmation bias and they could have missed this they could have you know this is how they could the magic tricks could have been done you think well don't you think that these these scientific researchers haven't thought about this sort of thing you know having been trained for their whole lives in a scientific way you know just because they disagree (laughs) if just because they disagree with your conclusion doesn't mean they don't understand science they understand science better than you do (laughs) you know exactly and then some of the skeptics like i'm not going to pretend i'm no science the level of a scientist Mm. but some of the skeptics you know who expose mediums they assume that anyone who drew a different conclusion just isn't smart enough Mm. to block their social media and i'm sure there are some that aren't but you know i just yeah it's this assumption that if you've come to a different conclusion you're just mm. an idiot and had nowhere mm. near the intelligence they did. And, and, and a lot of these people reference people like, um, it is unfortunate, but they reference people like, uh, who are the popular scientists today? You know, Michael Shermer, um, mm-hmm. oh, who's the guy, the astrophysicist? Mit- Dr. Michio yeah, There's Kaku. him, um, oh, the black guy. You know, oh, Neil, Neil deGrasse, deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. They, I love him. They quote him as he talks about when he t- dismisses near-death experiences and all that, the guy's an astrophysicist. You know, he's not hes not a consciousness philosopher. He's not a biologist. He's very, very good, very um, charismatic. And he knows what he's talking about in terms of physics and astrophysics. But don't look to him about near-death experiences and don't take his word as gospel for that because he's never looked at it. You know, pe- people like That's... people like Bill Nye have never looked at it. He's a biologist. Is he a biologist? Um, I but know he's, he's I never looked at the, him, but... yeah, but he's never looked at the the literature in depth in the depth that's necessary to understand it. You know, that's so true. They yeah, they just haven't. What would happen if they went and really examined it? And I mean, that's exactly Dr. Beichel, a skeptical pharmacologist, was so blown away by her first reading. Mm. She went and examined it, and you know, I feel that yeah, I, in a way, don't listen to anyone who hasn't examine something and i mean listen listen to everybody in one sense out of curiosity and another thing i've noticed about skeptics not necessarily scientists i mean but skeptics who you know the randy you know i don't know the gen Mm. the debunkers now including some that i think are very intelligent a lot of them and actually every single one that I dug a little deeper, and I'm sure that doesn't mean every single one by any means, but even, you know, Michael Shermer, who I love in many ways, and I have a second point about him I'll add in the end too. A lot of them came from a very religious yeah. upbringing and a lot of the trauma. And I, again, I don't want to not religion. I do have some friends that are religious who just brings love and beauty, but it's belief-based. Hmm. And also like anything, it can be used in a very controlling traumatic way you know laws that are passed mm. and, and historically you know, it has done so more than any other more than any science certainly yeah mm. yeah so here they've escaped this you know very you know non-evidential upbringing where in a, you know i would say most of them probably they were not taught 
God is real and God is love and loves you no matter what, they were probably taught, this is God, you have to follow X, Y, Z rules, and it's wrong to be this. And so they escape, and then they want to go debunk it. And they're very good debunkers. It's just, they haven't delved in at the level of, you know, a Dr. Julie Beischel or Mm. the founders of Forever Family Foundation. And what would happen if they did, or Dr. Bruce Grayson? Exactly. I suppose another important point I mentioned about uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson being a physicist and don't you know, don't take his word for it. But I suppose mm-hmm. the truth is, you know, it doesn't matter what background you have. What matters is have you looked at the specific subject you're talking about? You know, if you're a, you say about Julie Bichel being a um, a pharmacologist, which has nothing to do with near-death experiences mm-hmm. or mediumship, but she's actually done research in the field. So that's the person I'm looking towards more than Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, although he's a brilliant astrophysicist, has never looked at the research and just has an opinion based on what he believes is common sense and that is a very common sense that is the common sense conclusion because this other body of research just it's very counterintuitive it hasn't been brought to light Mm. it is very counterintuitive and it's for some reason just not known at all it's dismissed so quickly and you know this isn't 100% speculation but I do you know believe in multiple in evolution in multiple ways including just serve you know psychological survival instincts that we have and if you look throughout history yeah like religion and again that horrible word woo woo like all that stuff has been in so many ways detrimental Mm. to our safety there's sort of an instinct of survival to dismiss any thing that might risk being pseudoscience or might risk being, you know, slightly out there because it, it could be very, it's dangerous. So I just wonder how much of the instinct to dismiss things, you know, all the way back to the history, you know, back to burning witches. I mean, we have developed, you know, we still hide from tigers, you know, our, our physiology still makes us run from tigers. So what type of physiological instincts to be afraid of a certain type of you know spiritual over science because it has been deadly again to witches to dismissing medicine i mean it's just a theory i that of mine personally i haven't read any studies on it but it's just i sometimes wonder if that could be part of the instinct of mainstream science which is under such a threat and a, a deadly threat if that's not some innate survival instinct the way we hide from tigers or like logically we know how safe flying is but like my body panics every time there's turbulence even though i know exactly what's going on it's just it's unnatural i can't you know? do planes that's one of my big fears i cannot <laughs> do planes but it's funny for my 18th birthday i went up and i flew a plane um a little pr- propeller thing yeah and that was fine with that. Oh, and I think fun. it's because I'm in control. I can feel what's going on. But just sitting on a Boeing 737 or something, I, I can't do it. I hate it. Same. I, I mean, I do it all the time, but I get so scared. And I actually, this is my one little, like, maybe, like, I don't know if it's ridiculous. I have to email one of my medium friends every time, Joe Parada. I text him. I'm like, can I buy this flight? Can I go on this flight? He's like, yeah, Liz, you're fine. And there isn't even that strong of evidence of how well mediums predict future death but it's it's like my own little i'll say it's not the most scientific 
thing that I do, but it's just my own little comfort. I'm like, Joe, can I take this flight? He's like, yes, you can take that flight, Liz. And then, um, I can completely sympathize with that sort of thing. You know, part of my anxiety, my depression was a compulsive, obsessive compulsive thing, right? To do everything three times and in a certain order, knowing it was all bullshit and it made no difference, but you have to do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. It's, there's some, it sounds like a miss. I'm not going to try to like, be a doctor here for you but yeah it sounds like as we all have we know it logically but our brains fire certain instincts that we have to do and it's probably all based on bodies evolving to you know our real only goals are to you know survive and reproduce you know and it's are probably in the cities that we're not natural or you know modern society that we're not naturally made for our brains and bodies must give some weird signals you know on, on that relationship with science and i suppose mysticism as well is you there is a distinct risk there because things like faith healing where people are telling you that god is going to repair you jesus is going to heal you don't take this anti-cancer medication that sort of thing is incredibly dangerous very anti-science and understandably right. from that you have this um skepticism of anything apparently mystical or non-physical or whatever which is a very reasonable risk folks like peter peter popov and folks like that who advocate this kind of thing that's clearly not the case it's endangering people's lives and so science sees anything like that as a potential risk and there's a huge group of mediums i would say unfortunately a very large percentage are well i think most mean to be genuine but you know, not all of them are as accurate, but there is still a big group that, yeah, claim to do medical intuitive work and they're not telling the truth and it's really dangerous. And yeah, I think, I think maybe that's why there's such a knee jerk reaction and refusal to dig further is it's almost like a a survival instinct. And and things like that, I'd always say to people, you know, I, I don't believe in it, but if you believe in it, great, go for it but don't substitute traditional medication and traditional um, therapies and do this instead. Go to your doctor first, get get yourself physically sorted out. And then if you think this, this is complimentary, you know, it's, it's not medicine. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think, I mean, yeah, the whole, medicine's a whole other topic, but I do think also, especially in the United States, it's hard because it's become... I mean, it's become such a business and the pharmaceutical companies have betrayed trust in so many ways. You know, I don't know if you know about the, I believe it's, it was the Sackler family, you know, selling, you know, billionaires selling and addictions, you know, so I think it's, you know, and the way insurance companies treat people here, I mean, it's much worse in the States with, you know, people just not having fair and good access to medicine. And I think I think that ends up with a, group, a very unfortunate and understandable group mistrust because, you know, you have people like Dr. Fauci, who since, you know, the AIDS epidemic, you know, I think happened before we were even born, you know, he was there just working like crazy, but, you know, he's not one of the business people of the pharmaceutical companies. So then when something, you know, I, I guess, you know, I mean, this would be a whole other topic, but nothing's black and white and there's good and 
evil, you know, to get super philosophical and everything. And pharmaceutical companies have absolutely saved lives in the most miraculous, wonderful way and destroyed lives in other ways and through the business. And, you know, so I think, unfortunately, there is a mistrust that make people not trust medicine yeah. the way and they should, the most, if most that makes sense. In the modern day with COVID, especially. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a shame, but really it's just—I really suppose it's a part of human evolution that once we come out the other side, we'll look back and learn from it. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll see. I hope so. I mean, I think, yeah, I—I I hope we do. I think some, yeah. I guess I've been surprised at the level of reaction. So, I just wouldn't have thought this many people, and you know, I—I I don't this many people also who are taking advantage of and manipulating people and making them, you know, as you were saying, you were vaccine hesitant at first and I don't blame anyone who is with a lot of the misinformation. The funny thing is I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been vaccine hesitant. And if this, this guy hadn't sent me this stuff and then consequently I started looking Mm -hmm. into it and started thinking, Christ, maybe he's right. But if, if I hadn't have been, um, I mean, I'd looked into it and found it all to be nonsense anyway, Um, especially the DNA manipulation nonsense. But you know, if, if that information hadn't have been given to me, I wouldn't have thought twice about it because I trust the science and the the consensus of science. But then I wonder, is that kind of a, a two faced thing to say, because I'm, generally against the scientific consensus on consciousness and the fact that the brain creates it or the belief that the brain creates it. But they haven't studied. That's the difference is, you know, people that, you know, people who've studied and dedicated their lives to infectious disease have come out with a vaccine. People who have dedicated their life, even to just the brain and neuroscience, they haven't, they haven't dedicated their life to studying all this. I would feel differently if the medical community or the scientists who insist none of this is true had deeply examined it they what they are examining is you know we we can only know so much we're only at a certain level of understanding just like you know however many years ago we thought the earth was flat which is a really logical conclusion if you don't have telescopes a lot of people do still do think that unfortunately which is crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. But I guess, oh, I know that's, that's another thing, but yeah, I guess I kind of see it as like the experience of being on the planet with is one of being on a flat planet, you know what I mean? And then you have technology that now, you know, I mean, it's overall for the majority of people, it's very common knowledge now that we have a globe, but before planes, before Especially telescopes. seeing as we've been to space and photographed the bloody thing. You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, how much more evidence do you I need? I think the, the, main, but, the main argument I have against the... Because that's all I ever see on, well, I say YouTube debates. They're not debates. They're boxing matches. Um, but all I ever see is consensus. You know, the scientific consensus says this, therefore we should agree, we should believe that over these few scientists that have researched it. And my argument to that is... But the, the, of course, the scientific consensus is against it because 90% of scientists in neuroscience and whatever have never looked at these anomalous experiences. They're more interested in 
neurophysiology and fMRI technology and how to cure stroke victims mm-hmm. and things you know they're not looking at anomalous mm-hmm. experiences of consciousness they're not looking at it no and so they're making and they know brilliant stuff that I don't and they save people from brain cancer and strokes and just do remarkable work and fascinating work but no they have not studied this and what they they are making very logical conclusions about consciousness based on the information they have and they have excellent information but yeah I would be curious what would happen if you took a brilliant neuroscientist who insists this isn't true and have them study this for a year I mean I guess you have to say right now it's the consensus but there are neuroscientists who do study this Mm. yeah Peter Fenwick um who else neuroscience wise mm-hmm. uh i know peter Fenwick's a neurophysiologist i know there are others i can't think of their names now i'm blanking on the names too is dr jeffrey torrent is he a neuroscientist i know he does interesting stuff but i'm not sure if he's actually I a neuroscientist heard his name before i'm not sure okay. but I know eben alexander neurosurgeon um but there are loads I, their, their names are scanning yeah. but there are a lot um because i think yeah. the evidence all the evidence i've seen and i always say this because I, I see the brain more as a filter or a receiver of consciousness. Um, Whether that implied dualism yeah. or panpsychism or whatever, I don't know, but that's just the way I see it. And all the evidence I've ever seen for the opposite, which as you say, there is a lot of it, is more than sufficient evidence that can also be used for a filter idea with the added extra that we've got mm-hmm. anomalous experiences which can't be described by a causation relationship, but can by a filtration interpretation thing. Um, and all the evidence is, I mean, all the evidence has ever been given for consciousness in the brain is correlatory. Right. I mean, uh, where did, I mean, where did I read somewhere that it, it's just as much a belief right now that consciousness is created by a brain as it is that it isn't. It's just there isn't evidence that it's created from a brain. There's no, there's no neuroscientists, no materialist scientists. A scientist understands how this mass and matter creates consciousness. I have. I'm, I'm trying to remember specifically things he said. I know he he's the one who describes the stream and that our like all of our consciousness is part of a Me- stream, metaphysical but... idealism, which says that everything is mental and that con- uh, that physical matter is what <laughs> the uh, mind looks like from the. Um, from the view of three-dimensional matter or something like that. I mean, I, I butcher it every time, but he came up with a very good analogy of, of the brain, which is essentially a binary system. You, I imagine you know how the brain really works in terms of action potentials and things. Either a neuron fires or it doesn't on off. Same as a, a CPU, you know, a switch is on or a switch is off and that's it. And he said, you know, trying to fathom how a brain which is non-conscious matter on or off can give rise to consciousness is like trying to imagine a series of taps and pipes with taps either being turned on or turned off having it big enough and complex enough that suddenly that system of taps and pipes would become conscious and that's yeah. essentially yeah. what the brain is that's that's so interesting well yeah and none of i guess when i think of that like that explains how the brain sort of physically works and all of it i guess this is where you know you really have to i, I, I just I guess, I don't know if this is more philosophy than evidence, but 
So the brain creates these complex conscious experiences. And in a way you could, I would have an easier time dismissing the evidence I've seen that consciousness is non-local if there wasn't the profound profundity, am I pronouncing it right? Profundity, profundity of emotions and love and anger and like such a rich other level experience to consciousness. If it was just, you know, eat, survive. But if there wasn't this love almost, I mean, and decisions we make that almost go against survival instinct, purely based on emotion and love, you know, I mean, it doesn't help us to care for a dog. Like, you know what I mean? How does that help us to feed and like pamper, you know, a little dog, for example. And if there wasn't, there, there just seems to be something deeper to the whole experience of being alive, you know, and that goes away from the evidence, but and then also, we really do see how our brains and experiences filter things because, I mean, we already know there are colors on the UV spectrum that we don't see and sounds that we don't hear. And then different people, I mean, there's apparently these exceptional artists that have extra cones in their eye. Like, I think it's four cones instead of three, and they can see on the color spectrum. They tend to be artists, at least the article I read, because they can see color and layers of color on the spectrum that we can't see. And I mean, that just right there shows that our experiences are very filtered. Yeah. And the thing and is, not, you know, and not full reality. When we say about things that are measurable and things that aren't, and things that are measurable are the only things that exist, we're, we're saying that, we've deduced that from our limited experience mm -hmm. of reality and assuming that our limited experience of reality encompasses all of reality. Whereas, you know, shrimps, for instance, as you say, see so many different colors in such more vivid detail than we do, certain species shrimps, of shrimp. shrimps. Shrimps yeah, do? I, I believe so, I if I read that. I had no I idea. Think, think oh my God, that's fascinating. Um, but you know, their experience of reality is so much, in terms of at least what they see, is so much faster than ours. How do we know that they're yeah. see, not seeing more of reality than we are? We have the intelligence maybe to deduce things from it, but. I mean, 99, I think the figure I had, I never know if it's accurate or not, but 99.95% of the universe is un immeasurable. Yeah, and un yeah, not, yeah, dark yeah, matter. Not understandable. So how can we and make any definite conclusions about the reality from 0.05% of what we understand? I agree. And also, um, you know, I mean, you think, we already see the limitation of a physical experience because there's already a contrast that's impossible that goes against this if this makes sense um the concept of infinity infinity cannot exist in our world and our brains can't wrap our way our mind we we can't wrap our minds around it but infinity has to exist because when did anything begin i mean sure you can say the big crunch i mean the big bang and things will end at the big crunch but what about a trillion years or you know trillions and trillions and trillions of years before the big bang like in, and what if you were to travel you know, close to the speed of light for a trillion years in one direction. Like, so infinity has to exist in both time and space. And infinity does not exist and is absolutely incomprehensible in our experience, which already shows that this experience cannot be all of reality by any means. If one of the most obvious concepts that we know has to exist doesn't exist here. Does that yeah, make any you sense? Mean. You know, know what, what I mean? mean? Yeah, it is. I mean, all this sort of stuff is unfathomable, even trying to come to the idea that death is a cessation of consciousness forever 
there you're trying to interpret infinity and non-consciousness. I mean, not being conscious is, a, is an unfathomable idea to the human mind because we're always... It we're really always, is. Always just conscious. If we undergo surgery or we faint or whatever, we're conscious and then we're conscious again. You know, there's no... We don't experience that moment of unconsciousness. So if death is permanent unconsciousness, that by definition can't exist. That's... Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I always go back to the first thing that made me consider reincarnation. I just don't understand why. Like if you take the most materialist minded person as I was when I first examined this, like what would really, what would, why is reincarnation so absurd? I mean, it's, it can be quote unquote considered absurd once you bring in, you know, the karma aspect of it, but just the pure, why could a mass of cells not create you again, like where you'd be a different person, but where you still just get to experience being, even if you like wipe out all Jim Tucker's research and, you know, no existence of, no valid existence of memories of past lives, all that's bunk. Yeah, let's say all that's bunk. Kind of saying, let's say, I think like Randy, all that's bunk, that what part uh, of the laws of the most materialist minded neuroscientists would not allow for your consciousness to exist again as someone completely different just by the dumb luck of brain cells creating a you again it almost seems like it'd be a given that it would have to happen again i know what you mean i, I often think the same thing you know if it's happened mm -hmm. if we go to nothing we've come from nothing apparently spontaneously mm -hmm. as a species you know as a as a being we've come from nothing spontaneously so mm -hmm. if i'm going back into that same state of nothingness where i came from originally why can't statistically it, it arrange itself in the same way again to allow yeah or even in a completely different way but you still feel it not as you as darren but you, you still have an experience of being a you and you that's know the, that's if the that very sense. difficult thing for materialism is that sense of i because that kind of mm. when people say the brain creates the mind and we know that the brain influences it we know that because we know that if we you know you can change someone's opinion of something by stimulating a certain part of the brain but when we talk about consciousness we're talking about that behind the mind which is watching and observing the thoughts and the emotions it's it's the experience of being something well not even being something but of just of being of watching what's going on and it's that that sense of awareness that is behind all of that that's where does that come from how can that arise from non-conscious matter you know and it's the hard problem, which has been described so often. Hard, the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think in one sense, because, you know, I still, because of my admiration of science and, you know, I, well, however much I believe I've interpreted all the data I've experienced very neutrally, there's no way emotions aren't caught up in this. But even the most hardened scientists, there's always emotions about death, whatever your conclusion is. I mean, I think one of the things is just, it's so complicated and so, our world's so complex. And again, you brought up dark matter. I mean, just anyone who claims that they know the answer to something like that, it, it that's, that you just have to, it's, that's just belief the same way religion is, you know, someone who would just say, I know for a fact how consciousness works in the brain and that it can't work this way. I mean, that's, that, that, yeah, that comes into belief. And you, there, you know, and I just went back to 
you were saying like, why aren't there any brilliant scientists who believe this, you know, who are more famous, but there actually are. Um, oh God, but Dr. Robert Lanza, um, what's with the, what's with the um, how many Penrose pen and microtube. Yeah. And more off the microtubulars. Yeah. So there really are, it's just, they're kind of pushed a little to the side or, you know, I mean, but I mean, those scientists aren't even pushed to the side. Um, they're all very admired. It's just that part of their work isn't really discussed that much in mainstream. I suppose they know? risk their whole careers as well by losing any kind of credibility of the scientific um, population for believing things like that, which is a shame. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if you ever saw this YouTube and I, you know, I have to rewatch it i don't even understand fully what um what he means but did you ever watch dr stephen hawking talking about um shadow people it's so interesting and he talks about how there's brain layers not brain in our mind but brain spelled b-r-a-n-e and i guarantee i'm not going to get this completely right so i'm just going to give the concept but basically like a brain is sort of like a flat layer and our either our universe or galaxy or something or dimension is laying essentially in one brain and then there's others it almost sounds maybe like a combination of a type of string theory and you'll see reflections from other dimensions onto ours and that's shadow people and this was stephen hawking and you know and that would also i suppose give some sort of credibility to the ideas of um Oh, who's, who's the guy that says everyone's controlled by reptilians? Um, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> that sounds a little nuts. Yeah, I, can't, I, mean, I can't remember. But um, he, he's well known for saying that the Queen and, and the higher ups are controlled by lizards and things like that. And it sounds absurd, but I suppose, you know, if, if you start to think of these different brains or different planes of existence leaking over. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. We don't know what inhabits that sort of that sort of realm, and what. I mean, maybe that's down to what these alien invasions or these um, alien um, abductions and abduction and things like that are down to. Maybe it's these entities from different planes of existence leaking over into ours and communicating in that way. I don't know, but it really does open up a lot I of mean, things to question. Really does. I think sometimes one thing that maybe can harm the credibility of afterlife research you know is a lot of things are philosophy that and mind not mind you know not mind games and like the playing with people but you know what i mean like brain games maybe and just pure philosophy that suddenly someone tries to claim as fact like you know you can play how do we know we're not in a video simulation and that's fascinating to go down. And, you know, I assume, I think we both, you know, talked about Dr. Michio Kako. And I mean, someone like him and there's, discusses that. And it's just these fascinating philosophical discussions or how do you know you're not the only person in the world and you're imagining everything around you, you know, the matrix theory. And all those are wonderful philosophically. And I think they're all worth like just the mind game of, pretending they're true with yourself for an hour and seeing where your mind goes. And I think there's a lot of loss of credibility when someone 
plays with those ideas and then it's interpreted as they're saying, okay, this is fact, I figured out this is true. And I think that's maybe what has become a major, some unfortunately like discredit some of the afterlife research because you'll go with the facts and then somebody, whether, you know, will kind of take almost like, I don't want to even say as extreme as cult-like, but that sort of mindset will be like, oh, because of this, then there's this whole, you know, they say they take it three steps further than we have any evidence for. And instead of saying this is a theory, they're like, this is how it is. And then, you know, that, you know, that also has to, in a way, prey a little on vulnerable, frightened people, which all of us are in certain ways. We've all had trauma. We've all had tragedies or will or, and, you know, I also think some of it, a discredit sometimes of the anecdotal evidence or experiential evidence is in the wording. Like I was reading in one book, I forget which, and this is also, you know, I try to stick with factual experiential when I talk about my experiences in my research and when I write. And, you know, let's say to people, let's say I had the exact same experience or you had the exact same experience as someone who's been raised much more spiritual or religious and I guess you were raised somewhat religious, but you know what I mean. And so, you know, let's say like I've taken some out of body workshops and I've had some interesting experiences. So I'll take it like more extreme than I've actually ever had, but let's, you know, say someone felt themselves like, this is partially true, but I'm, ex- I'm going a little further to s- experiences. I know others have had that I haven't had it this big. Let's say you're feeling like I started doing the exercise. I always feel like these really intense vibrations going through me and kind of lose a sense of time. And then I've heard of some people kind of feel like they're out and floating above and they've seen kind of this like energy, like coming towards them and sending them information. So you can take that experience and word it two different ways. One person could say, I felt these inexplicable vibrations going through my body. It kind of felt like these hot waves. And then I felt as if this, all I can say is the sensations were above. And I saw something that I can only describe as light kind of sending information. It felt like love and it felt like, you know, some some information, whatever. And then you take someone else and they're like, oh my God, I floated up and an angel was there. And, you know, that's just based on sort of, a lot of the language and upbringing. And I think having that, the limited language we have for it and people bringing a more spiritual talk to it can damage credibility with like the scientific community and it being taken as seriously as it should. We've seen that sort of thing with near-death experiences because we know that many near-death experiences are culturally based on the way that they're experienced. Mm -hmm. People will see Jesus, people will see a Hindu deity, people will see just a Mm -hmm. spiritual being if they're atheists and then they go Mm -hmm. off to this heaven-like environment depending on what their religion says they should be and that brings as you say a lot of um discredit to the in the scientific community because they believe therefore it's all created in the mind whereas i would argue it's influenced by the mind certainly and by the expectations and kind of tailored to each person doesn't necessarily follow that it's created by the mind as a hallucination but that's i suppose again, down to the way that these experiences are interpreted by the person that has them. But, the, you know, what I 
what made me feel, I don't want to say made me feel better because it sounds like I'm like talking myself into things, but factually this was my thought process too, is this is getting into other dimensional. And we just experienced this in the material world. Take 10 different people from different cultures, have them all, they're going to Thailand. That's it. That's the thing. Go to Thailand. You know, they have different socioeconomic, you know, abilities. So it'll be some more of a strain on others. They have different interests, different familiarity with the language, the culture. They all go. And each one would come back with a completely different story and completely different interpretation and completely different experience. Not only of the facts, you know, they would notice different things. They would eat different things. Even if they went to the exact same place, let's say you put them all in, a, you know, an island together for like a week, they would each say something completely different. And then when you talked about the emotions of it, they would, you know, I mean, depending how people view the world, like some people have very dark views of the world and they'd be like, oh, you know, all these people were clicky and not nice. It was such a bad experience. It was a horrible group. Like that's, you know, there's, they're just people who are negative. And then you take someone who's really like warm and loving. They'd be like, it was amazing. It was such, the people were so kind and I learned so much from them, you know, and you would just, and that's just something so basic as like a piece of land with other humans or animals on our planet. And you would just, mm. and the experience is so you, different. There would be very oh, yeah. little overlook. So different. 